Welcome to Get Amplified from the Amplified Group, the podcast for tech industry leaders and aspiring leaders focusing on extraordinary teams. Uh, in the usual virtual situation, we are all at home as we have been since even pre-COVID days. Shah, at home in the Netherlands, I'm in deepest, darkest Buckinghamshire and Vicky's over in Oxfordshire. I don't know why I'm deepest, darkest today rather than Vicky, but we'll ring the changes. What the hell? So Shah, who have we got today? What's our topic? So we've got somebody who Vicky and I know very, very well, and that will become apparent as we go through this podcast, because I suspect there's going to be quite a bit of banter going on this time round. So Jane Rimmer, um, and I'll let Jane explain in a few minutes about her career history and what she's doing now. But I just wanted to, to place the episode and the topic that we're going to cover today. So we're going to be talking about inspiring leaders and how they gain respect and admiration by their team and how, frankly, that is the main success factor in, in the results that you get from that particular team. And I have the immense pleasure of knowing Jane for quite some time. And I have also the immense pleasure of working for Jane, as does Vicky, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. But I cannot stress enough how much I respect and admire this particular guest. So I'm thrilled to have Jane on the call today. And um, with that, Jane, what I wanted you to do, if you can, in short, if that's a, at all possible, is give us a bit of a career history and uh, just let us know what, what you've done in the past and what you're doing right now. Great, thanks Shah. Um, it's a real pleasure to be on the podcast with you all today and thank you obviously for inviting me. So a quick potted history because as you say there's quite a lot to, to cover but I actually started my IT career back in the late 80s at Sun Microsystems and I remember walking into the office thinking hmm, I thought PCs were meant to be getting smaller because obviously Sun had these massive great big workstations and um, I was there for, I think it was five or six years, actually no, seven. Um, then I moved on to Hayes and I was in a similar role. I was working as um, an EMEA marketing manager and it was a very interesting part of my career chapter because speaking of chapters, Hayes actually went into chapter 11 when I was working with them and that was a huge management learning experience actually. Well it wasn't, wasn't your fault I presume? No, no, no. <laughs> well, Just checking. No. I'd like to think that my contribution... O overspending on the marketing budget. <laughs> I think it was my contribution I'd like to think that helped them come out of chapter 11. Excellent, that's more like um, but actually, you, you say that, Sam, I was um, actually pregnant with my second son at the time, and I literally had one day off to have him because wow. the company was in such a, a dire strait. So that's why it was such a, you know, a management learning experience. So anyway, they came out of chapter 11. I stayed with them for another year. Things actually began to continue to deteriorate. So I decided to look for my next step in my career, and that was Citrix. So I joined the Northern European marketing team and worked my way up over a period of a few years to the senior marketing director of Europe running the whole marketing team based out of the Swiss head office in Schaffhausen. And then in 2002, Mark Stradling, who was my boss in Northern European times, moved to VMware and invited me to join him to head up marketing at VMware in Europe, which I did. 
was there for a couple of years. We can discuss later about the reasons of, of moving on. But in 2005, I set up my own company, Hybiz Marketing, which is now 15 years old, which is super scary. I don't really know where those years have gone. And I focus on helping companies within that sort of VMware Citrix ecosystem in end user computing, cloud and virtualization to enter the European market. And that's what I'm doing. So is, it, is Hive-Is just you or are there multiple? Uh, Rimograms, I think, is your Twitter handle, isn't it? <laughs> are there multiple Rimograms? Uh, so actually, I'm, I'm sure Vicky and Shah will tell you it was never a good idea to get a Rimogram <laughs> when they worked for me. And <laughs> I was talking to uh, my PR agency years ago before I joined Twitter about this Rimogram situation. Oh, that's a great name for joining Twitter. That's a great <laughs> handle. So that's it sort of stuck. It's also the name of my blog. Um, so yes, Rimogram, um, it's a good thing now, not a bad thing. Can't, can't, can't wait to hear about this, this, this Rimogram thing from Vicky later on by the sounds of things. <laughs> so Vicky, do you want to give us give some, some background to why particularly we invited Jane onto the podcast today? Yes, I'd love to, thank you. And actually I'm going to start with the Rimogram. <laughs> Brilliant, we didn't have to wait too long. We didn't have to wait too long at all, no. So I also had the pleasure of, of working for Jane. So that's when Shah and I met whilst we were working for Jane. So thank you, Jane, yeah. for bringing us together. We've got that to thank you for as well. It's a proper um, love in today. Oh, seriously. So working for Jane, I don't think we quite realised at the time how lucky we were and how much we should appreciate what a great leader she was and she was a great leader and if i look at how we help leadership teams now and how we help leaders being that inspirational leader that leads the way in such a way that they get stuck in too and they lead from the front in in such an inspiring way that you always want to do your best for them and also what what jane is not scared of at all is holding people accountable but being very clear on on why and that's such a tricky area for people to do the, the work that I'm doing with the teams that I'm working with at the minute is that people don't want to have those difficult conversations and and actually the rimogram comes from you don't want to be on the end of one of Jane's emails when you've not got something right and I can't remember actually, Jane, exactly how many years I worked for you. But when I moved into my next role, and thank you for giving me the, the support to do that, I think the conversation we had was, I never got a rimogram off you, <laughs> which, which really felt like quite an achievement. But it was because I was always very, very clear on what you expected of me. And you did you know hold me accountable all the time but I remember making mistakes and going to you and going I've really really messed this up and you go well you've learned from it and you're not going to do it again are you and to have that safety and know that you had my back was incredible but is, a rim, is a rimogram a bit like one of those screaming letters that you get in Harry Potter <laughs> <laughs> Well, the burns up when it's done. You know, you know where, where <laughs> I think his Ron opens up a letter from his mum and it absolutely hits him with this massive high-pitched diatribe. Jane, you better answer that one. I think, I'd like 
like to think they were quite succinct and they were rambling, <laughs> but <laughs> they were very to the point. Excellent. Um, so yes, and as I say, that sort of that uh, nickname, I suppose, has um, sort of followed me through. Dave. History. Yeah. The other point that I wanted to make from you as an inspirational leader was so many teams are great teams because of their leader and that's like a bubble inside a corporate company what we had as well was because you were so closely connected with corporate and we could see where we fitted and what our contribution was to Citrix's overall mission that also made a made a big difference I think so I just wanted to, to highlight that as well yeah Vicky makes a really good point there I was just talking to somebody only today and they talked about silos and I never felt like that I did feel like I understood the purpose the common purpose of the entire organization and what we had to do to, to help drive that and, and that was really really clear and and to your point as well Vicky you know what we know now at the Amplified Group or what we help people to understand now is that holding each other accountable is actually one of the biggest things and the, and the biggest gift that a leader can give. If you can say, look, you did wrong, this is what you did, let's discuss it, rather than just brush it under the carpet, it's not just peer-to-peer -peer accountability it's important. The leader has to lead from the top. And so that was always important to us because we always knew that we, that we had to keep ourselves in check. You know, it, it was important. So the story I was going to tell was it was actually nothing to do with uh, Jane's great leadership as such. It was more to do with the thing that we talk about, the foundation, which is trust. It's when I actually had my interview with Jane, you don't know this, Jane, and I'm going to tell you this. So the trust got for me was there immediately because you said to me, you've worked in northern europe you've done this role i'm looking at your cv have you lied on your cv and i said no i i haven't great well unless you're a complete nutcase you've pretty much got the job now i need to introduce you to the rest of the team so that they can make sure that you're not a nutcase as well what that did for me <laughs> what that did for me is those three other jobs that i had lined up i didn't want to take them because I fell in love with you immediately and it was really powerful what you did, even though you didn't know you did it. And I'm glad to say I didn't lie on my CV and I'm hoping that you think I did a good job for you all those years. But um, it was just a story I had to tell because I'm not sure if you remembered it or not. No, I, I must admit I don't, but I think, you know, you've hit on a point there about one of the elements of a good team. And that's chemistry, mm. you know, and in any organization, big or small, not everyone can get on with everyone else. Right. But if you do a good job and you play your part, then people, even if they don't like you, they will respect you for that. Mm -hmm. And I think it is, you know, that's all part of being a team. But thank, thank you, you for regaling that story. I don't recall it, but I won't forget it now. <laughs> I didn't forget it. I've used it many times. <laughs> I think perhaps, Shah, rather than not being a nutcase, it was perhaps the, that you were the right type of nutcase. Oh, that's a really good point. Yes. That's an excellent point, Sam, because right now what we do is we obviously do personality uh, uh, profiling and assessments to make sure that we understand the dynamics of a team, but that's more... Um, 
scientific, but it, it definitely works. But in this case, you're right. It was, do I fit the culture? That's the main thing, right? Am I the right person? I could have been completely the wrong person, but Jane detected straight away that I was going to fit um, being a nutcase or not. <laughs> I'm the right kind of nutcase, obviously. So that's a really good point, Sam. Mm. Brilliant. Great. Thanks for all that background. That's a really good start. Um, so, Jane, it's, your career history is fascinating. It's pretty clear that you've been doing a lot of startup stuff. You know, you were in, the, in Citrix in the early stages. You were in VMware in the early stages, two kind of software behemoths of, of the industry. But you were, you, you were maybe not necessarily a founding member, but certainly boots on the ground early doors in Europe. Um, be really interesting to hear about the, the startup phase of those big businesses, if you don't mind. No, absolutely, Sam. I think um, when I joined Citrix, albeit they had already gone public, so they weren't as small as some of the other companies I've worked with, but um, you know, the whole European team was relatively new, relatively small, and the Northern European team was definitely at that point was just me when I started. So I did have the pleasure of building up that team and um, you know, Vicky and Charles were part of that. So for me, it was very important, you know, we talk about the nutcase culture, which is gonna be a new saying now, Sam, thank you. But for me, you know, people talk about their companies being family and Citrix was and probably still is a family. I remember that, you know, the day that I met Ed and his wife, Nancy, I got a great big hug off them. You know, Ed was well known for his bear hugs and they both said, welcome to the Citrix family. And I really felt that that was a heartfelt sentiment, not just a cliche. Um, so it was, you know, culture really does start at the top um, and it sort of flows down to various management teams and then down to, to teams and individuals. And so actually at VMware, um, you know, joined before EMC bought them and clearly before they went public. And actually I was employee number two in Europe for VMware. So definitely in at those early groundbreaking days. And um, yes, Citrix and VMware and VMware in particular, huge software behemoths now. Um, you know, Citrix is having a, a, a bit of a renaissance now with the fact that obviously everyone's working from home. You know, their share price is doing extraordinarily well. And I'm really, really proud to have been part of those organizations. One of the things you talked about when we were prepping for this was the difference in culture between Citrix and VMware. Are you okay to touch on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so because, you know, I mentioned earlier, Ed and Nancy were really, you know, well, were because Ed obviously sadly is no longer with us. Nancy clearly still is. But, you know, they, the company was, it was all about Ed. It was all about what he had developed but he never made it about him. He himself made it about the team. He hired people that were extraordinary leaders as well. Um, again, sadly no longer with us, but Jose Carrero had a huge influence on my life, my career life, as well as my personal life. He was um, the leader of the international business so he was and in fact Shah, I think I learned my lesson from him about interviewing people because 
he too looked at my CV when he was interviewing me for Citrix and said, well, you clearly can do the job. I want to know about you as a person. Will you fit into yeah. the team? So yes, I, I learned that from him. But then moving to VMware, very, very different time in the company's history, run by a very, very different leader, to the point where if I look at my connections on Facebook, and I view Facebook as a social media platform, as a personal platform, and Twitter and LinkedIn are very much a professional platform for me. And my connections on Facebook, industry connections, are virtually all Citrix. But most of my connections on, not so much LinkedIn, but certainly on Twitter, are all VMware. So I think, again, that maybe highlights the culture part because I am very, very lucky and very fortunate to have now some lifelong friendships that were made at Citrix right in the beginning. And clearly, you know, you two are part of that. Whereas at VMware, I have got some, I clearly have some friends from VMware too, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but... I view my, you know, sort of the professional connections through VMware are stronger than perhaps the friendly part of it. Yeah. And I think that does, you know, that clearly for me personally does reflect on the culture of, of the two companies. Interesting. I think so we'd agree with you. Both Shara and I would agree you with both. you. Yeah, which is interesting because we, we were you know, at the two companies at different times in our careers, as well as different times in their maturity. Mm -hmm. So you could say, well, maybe it was because you were further along in your career and therefore in a different um, mode, but actually it's not the case because we found the same. And we, we um, were lucky enough, uh, we were lucky enough to attend a, um, a reunion a couple of years ago at Citrix and it was in London. And I'll never forget walking into that room and feeling a complete and utter hug from the whole room. It was incredible. It was like being back with family. And so, you know, we talk about high trust cultures in organizations being important. And sometimes it's, it's kind of like for some leaders, it, they don't understand the importance of it. But gosh, it's so important. Mm -hmm. And that, that's what we were all very privileged to, uh, to have, have seen, really. Yeah. Yes, but I think it's really important to recognise that, you know, Citrix was the fastest growing company on NASDAQ and they were going great guns. Um, but I think things changed um, as as they grew. They brought people in that didn't necessarily recognise the importance of family as it was. And I'm sure that that has had an impact on on where they are now. Yeah, I totally agree, Vic. I've got a personal story and it is really personal, but I'm going to share it because I think it's important. There was a point I've been at Citrix for 12 and a half years where I was introduced to a new manager, a VP who came over from the States. I won't mention his name, um, but I went into his office and the way he spoke to me was I can only describe as a culture shock. I'd never been spoken to at Citrix like that ever. And I walked out that door and I thought, oh my God, what's going on? This is not the same company. But if I'd have known what I know now, I would never have let him speak to me like that. 
but it just goes to show that you know if we knew then what we know now and what we're doing now at the amplified group is so important to help companies like that retain that culture and retain that family atmosphere because it's important to getting up in the morning and wanting to go to work so we've talked a lot about culture and in particular the culture in, in those two magnificent organizations Jane what do you think are the important elements to being a, a, a leader and a manager of those teams so I think um, I really hope these don't sound like cliches but I really do mean them and believe in them to be a good leader I honestly believe you should never ask one of your team to do something you would not be prepared to do yourself and I think with that, that means that your team would hopefully respect you. I like to always treat people how I would like to be treated myself. And I think that leads on to an area that, you know, some bad leaders think because they're in charge and they're the boss, that you should automatically respect them. Well, you know, respect is earned you know it's it's not a, a just a given and Definitely. people that think that will never be a good leader they'll never be successful they might be successful financially or you know successful for their companies but they'll never in my mind be successful as a good leader um and we were talking earlier as well that if somebody isn't excelling in their role um, before they get a rimogram, then you need to identify why. Because sometimes they may well have been mishired. Sometimes they may not actually know what the parameters are of their job role. What are you expecting them to achieve? What are the measurements of success? Have they had the right training? You know, it's not always the individual is at fault through not succeeding. So, you know, I, I'd like to think that as a leader, I would look at the whole situation, not just as the individual, but how is that person performing within the team? You know, is there an issue? Because yeah, we all have personality conflicts as well, right? So you have to, as a leader, manage those. And, you know, that was one of the reasons that, I didn't enjoy my role at um, Citrix in the end in Switzerland because as a marketeer, I'm very customer facing. I like to be out there talking to customers, talking to channel partners and being an outwardly facing marketeer. As the top of the, the leadership team of marketing for Citrix in EMEA, I was managing people, I was managing spreadsheets, I was cutting budgets, you know, and it that for me was not a fulfillment so you know i wasn't happy in my role so therefore i probably wasn't being as successful as i i could have been and you know was that my fault was it the fault of the people that had put me in the role because they had kind of missold it to me you know you need to sit as a leader and really analyze situations good and bad right and of course the other aspect of being a good leader always give credit where credit is due if you're an individual in your team is doing well they make you as a leader look good they make the whole team look good and so you know i'd always like to think that i encourage that 
that team environment where you know you're doing a fab job Sam but you know look at the impact of this across the whole team it's you know it is that one plus one equals three scenario in my view it's interesting that I absolutely agree with that it that was something that I was really really big on credit where credit was due on on the you know the team within my group the people that created the ideas and weirdly I found that the 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 more I tried to deflect any praise onto the people in my team who'd actually done the work, the more praise I came in for, or the more the more <laughs> progress I made. It was it was a really strange situation, I guess. You know. You, well, there you go. That is the evidence <laughs> that it worked. It's an absolute win-win. You know, no, no nobody loses out in that scenario. Vicky, you wanted to jump in. I yeah, think. I did. And it was actually it was just <laughs> it's going back to the rimogram thing again, and just what Jane was saying about you know, having those tough conversations. I think I didn't receive a rimogram, but I did receive tough conversations. And it was because you held me accountable face to face that I never received, never received one. I do think that makes sense. Also being recognized for the, for doing the right work as well. You know, the confidence that I got working for you was just incredible. Well, that's nice confidence, confidence born out of clarity, do you think? I think so. Well, clarity, but also knowing that Jane had my back and that, you know, the, 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 the example I think I was giving you guys the other day was when I just started working for Jane. So I knew Jane from working in distribution. So I knew her before I joined Citrix and we'd worked together for a, a couple of years. I headhunted um, you. Well, do you know what happened? Actually, what happened was I knew that Citrix didn't take from the channel and I um, went and got my job, a, a job as an SE working for BT doing Cisco. I mean, can you believe that? That was so thank God you saved me from that. But then I told you that I was going to BT and you went, well, if you're going to BT anyway, if you're leaving, then come and come and join us. So thank you. No, you're very welcome, and I'm glad that. Uh... Um, but but I'd I'd not been working for you very long, and at the time the relationship with Microsoft was really not in a good place, and I had to go to TVP and do a presentation to about three hundred people, and I was trying to read out registry settings and be a techie, and that wasn't the right thing to do. And somebody thought, "How do we shut her up?" I <laughs> turned the lights off. And this room went dark and I was, well, I couldn't read the registry settings anymore. So um, I came back to Citrix with my tail between my legs completely, terrified to tell you what had happened, thinking you were going to say, right, well, you're out of here. But you didn't. You said, that's okay. Just don't do it again. And my God, I had to go and present at Bedfont Lakes at IBM the week later. Was I on fire in that presentation? <laughs> it was a really good learning, but to know that it was safe to make a mistake, to be able to admit it and to learn from it. So many people we work with try and hide things because they don't feel like it's a safe enough place. So the trust thing was immense. I, th I think, Vicky, it's, you know, that old adage of about, you know, don't ask for permission, just ask for forgiveness. In a startup culture, I think that's even more critical because you want people to you know, take ownership, be self-motivated, crack on, get the job done to the best of their ability within the parameters that you as a manager have set. 
but to feel confident to go out there and execute. And to be fair, I think most rimograms were always aimed upward. They went more to management or corporate than to my team, to be so fair. More, more on behalf of your team, maybe fighting their corner. I was going to say that, actually, the other thing you, you mentioned there, to be fair, they went up, but you kind of always shared that with us as well, Jane. So we were aware that you had our backs and you were supporting us because you were giving them hell above. Um, you never hid any of that from us. Um, but going back to the empowerment thing, you know, I absolutely feel that it's so critical that you have clarity about what you're supposed to do, as you say, within the parameters, your manager sets that, but then lets you go off and do it. Um, and, and we were very lucky to have a couple of managers like that. But my, my thing about being a good manager, and I believe I am as well, I'm very proud of the feedback I've got, is I learn from other people. I learn from you, for sure. You learn from other people as well. And it's really important that you take that on board. What do you like from a manager yourself is most likely what you're going to give to somebody else. And what you don't like, like that micromanagement stuff, you're never going to do because you know that it's the wrong thing to do. But you know, Shah, that leads on to a really good point because we talk about accountability. So, you know, as a manager, I would make you guys accountable for what you were doing in your job roles. But there's a thing that I like to call self-accountability. So I was frustrated in my role at VMware. And yes, of course, I went through the procedures of talking to people and trying to, you know, make it better. But in the end, I realized that this was no longer the right role for me. I was not doing my team or my leadership team any favors by staying there because I was so frustrated. And so I made it accountable for myself just do something about it, not bitch and whinge about it. You know, if something isn't right, then do something about it. I and think that's, that, that's particularly good learning for people in the early stages of their career. You know, we, you, you see it, perhaps you come out with a decent degree and, you know, you've had a little bit of success and you think that the next stage or where you want to get to will just fall into your lap. And unfortunately, it doesn't necessarily work like that. You know, you, you have to go out there and grab it. Similar experience for me in, in, in my softcat role in, you know, moving into the services arena. That took a lot of, I guess, quite frankly, bitching and moaning that we weren't doing enough and we should do this and we had to do it or we, we were going to have problems before eventually I got the opportunity to do that. And then later on with the CTO thing, getting to the point where, if I'm entirely honest, services and the operations around it had outgrown my skill set. You know, like you, Jane, I think I'm, I, I like I like the sort of startup side of things. So, you know, when services was 250 people, it was all about operations management, and that's that, that's not my skill set. It was time to move on, and 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 I had to work with the the rest of the leadership team to kind of create that CTO role and 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 go into. The, I suppose the strategy consulting side of things because I felt that was the next stage in our in our um, evolution as a business. So you're absolutely right. You know, you've got to you've got to make it happen. It doesn't just fall into your lap. Yeah, yeah. You've got to make sure that you you recognise yourself as what your skill sets are, what your strengths are, where you can best apply those, and then hopefully you'll work with 
a team and a manager that also recognizes that and helps you to progress to the next stage. I've got a question about your um, job working for the modem company. Was, the, sal was the salary 56k? <laughs> That was poor. I apologise unreservedly. No, please, I love that sort of joke. And please, please, please edit that out, Vicky. <laughs> no, I think we then need to have a show of hands as to who else got the joke. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Vicky's waving at Showing it. our age, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. I sold 56k modems. It's my first job. Well, actually, it was the evolution of, you know, selling hardware to it actually then being integrated into a laptop to then being integrated onto the motherboard and yeah um, you know, yeah it was a, a wild time actually when i look back but. yeah no kidding no kidding <laughs> funny just gonna ask jane one question you mentioned when we were actually prepping for this and i, and I want you to elaborate on it because i think it's important that being a manager to you um you think it's really important to put steps in place that you you're in front of that person all the time, but that you also don't see it as a burden. Can you explain what you mean by that? Well, yeah, I mean, it's slightly talking to other people, just in sort of like general conversation, that the annual review process always seemed to be, oh God, it's that time of year again. Hmm. And everyone viewed it as a burden and as a chore. And frankly, I embraced it because, hmm both as you know having to do my own annual appraisal and write up all the forms but also doing it for my team because i felt it was you know that one time of year when you really get to give that critical feedback good and bad um you know to look at where that individual has come what achievements they have accomplished what they've done for the whole team and the company at large um and I just felt it's something that people need to embrace. It's a very important part of being a manager and it should not be perceived as a burden or a chore. And certainly you should never give that impression to your team that that's what it is. So, yeah, I think that was what you, you were alluding to. Yeah, it was. And it's fact, the fact that, you know, we, we talk about radical candor and maybe that's a little bit too extreme for that. But it is candor, right? It's, it's just being open and saying these are areas for improvement. And um, I, I, I feel sometimes that leaders forget the importance of just sitting down one on one and having that open conversation and then bringing the rest of the team into that what we do at amplified is is we actually help the rest of the team understand that they play a part in that as well it's not just the responsibility of the leader to make that team great it's each other's responsibility as well to have that radical candor conversation to be able to hold each other accountable and to pull together as a united team not just the leader's responsibility but also that team has to have trust not just in its leader but in yeah, each, other. each other in each other radical candor only works you can only be that direct if the person that is receiving it knows that you genuinely care about them kim scott that talks about radical candor she says you've got that you have to care to be able to give that feedback it needs to be for the right reasons and that is a really good point, Vicky. Sometimes when I get 
passionate about something and you know emotion and emotive it's all blurs into one and it can be misconstrued it can be received badly I've always said that the only reason I get passionate about something is because, because you care and if I didn't care I wouldn't either be happy angry upset I would just be mediocre and pathetic yeah absolutely it's no fun is it so if you didn't care rimograms wouldn't exist <laughs> exactly. And what a shame that would be. Is that what the title of this podcast is going to be? Have you ever had a rimogram? Yeah. <laughs> okay. oh, I love that out. <laughs> That's yeah, brilliant. Rimograms wouldn't exist. Love it. <laughs> so, Jane, let's bring it up to date. What, what are you doing these days? So, um, I'm very fortunate that in running Hi-Viz Marketing, um, obviously the clue is in the name, I'm very much a freelance marketing consultant and I work with US companies looking to come into the EMEA marketplace and they were normally within that sort of VMware Citrix ecosystem. And, you know, over the 15 years, I've worked with some amazing companies. Some of them have been acquired, um, and some of them are continuing to be successfully independent. One of them IPO'd, Nutanix. So, you know, yeah, there has yeah. been a great opportunity for me to work with some amazing technologies. When I started Hive's Marketing, if anyone had said, oh, you'll still be going in 15 years time, I'd be like, yeah, right, I'll be, I'll be retired. Um, and maybe I should be, I don't know. But as long well, you as... Clearly, you clearly enjoy it, though, so... <laughs> exactly what i was just going to say sam you know as long as my clients still want me and yeah. still need my services and i still enjoy it i'm yeah. doing it because i truly have the best work-life balance ever and i'm extraordinarily proud of that and very privileged and, and was that the reason for setting it up in the first place for sort of going it alone as it were or were the it reasons was. more complicated than that well, if truth be told, when I had made the decision that, you know, VMware wasn't for me anymore, I went to Mark Stradling and it was actually like asking my husband for a divorce because I said, I don't want to work here anymore, Mark. I'm really sorry. It's not you. It's not the team. I just the whole thing. It's not you. It's me. <laughs> it's not you. It's me. Exactly. So um, he said, well, you know, what are you going to do? Because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to tell the team you're leaving because you're fed up. So I said, well, I'll probably do a bit of consultancy. And it was literally like off the cuff like that. And then I sat and thought about it. We were actually doing the very first um, technical event that um, then over time went on to be VMworld EMEA. But it was in Lisbon and I was just sort of Googling, looking up domain names. And I thought, as a horse rider, I always wear high-vis clothing so that people can see me and hopefully don't run me off my horse. High-vis gets you noticed. Oh, that's a really good name for a company. So I secured the domain name. Um, by this time, I obviously had handed in my notice. So I set up as a freelance marketing consultant. Before I'd even left VMware, I had secured my first client. And I have just been very lucky that over the years, um, People have either hired me and then move on to another company and rehired me, or it's all been word of mouth. Um, I don't solicit for business stuff. Um, I literally have just been very lucky with people recommending me and um, just hearing about me from word of mouth. 
I don't think it is luck, Jane, at that point. I think we go full circle back to where we started with this, which is the respect thing, you know? Um, you wouldn't have got those clients as we don't, Vicky and I, you know, we get those clients because we're working with people that respect the quality of work that we can bring and the different perspective as a consultant. As you said, you're not working inside the organization. So you can kind of tell them the truth and you can kind of give them that overarching different perspective that maybe they can't see the wood for the trees, as we say. So I do think that, that it goes full circle back. So Jane, it's probably time to sort of start to draw towards a conclusion. Um, wondered if you'd be so kind as to give us your, your key takeaways on lead, leadership, working as a leader, how you, how you inspire and gain the respect of those around you, if you don't mind. Um, well, I, I'll probably repeat some of the stuff that I've said earlier, Sam, but you know, I would never ask anyone in my team to do something that I wouldn't be prepared to do myself. Um, I'd also say celebrate your team, right? So, you know, back to the point about giving credit where, where credit's due. And in building teams, you know, I said earlier, I'm a generalist. As a marketing leader, you have to know all the, the whole spectrum of, of the marketing disciplines. But within those disciplines, you hire specialists. So for example, Vicky was my technical marketing person. I'm not technical. I know what product marketing and technical marketing should bring to the party, but so I hired her with her specialisms. Sharon was my channel marketing expert. And although I've always sold through the channel mainly, um, you know, you need somebody that is very specialized in that area. So just make sure that when you hire people, you hire them for their area of specialism, but celebrate that and make them understand how they fit in to the overall team. Um, another lesson I learned was <laughs> under promise and over deliver. I know again, it's an old cliche, but Good one. set expectations correctly, both upwardly and downwardly then you will be successful. You will achieve your goals. Um, and one thing that I learned from a boss who actually I didn't particularly like, this is many years ago, but he did tell me a very powerful lesson and one that I have continued to, to work to, and that is consensus equals death. And what he meant by that was, talk to your team about whatever the subject matter is, get their ideas, get them involved, get their contributions. But at the end of the day, not everyone's going to agree. So you have to be that dictator at the end of the day. Thank you all for your input. This is the decision. We're going to move ahead. But even if somebody on the team didn't agree with that decision, the fact that you've involved them, they have contributed, you've listened to them, you've not necessarily agreed with them. So that's where the consensus equals death comes from. Get everyone's involvement, get their opinion, yeah. be a dictator at the end of it. Co consultation, not consensus. Vicky? Yeah, that's a huge part of what we do. Um, it, the, the question that we ask is the difference between consensus and commitment. Right. Well, in my in my experience is at least six months because if you're trying to get so you say it's death but it, it that's that's the dramatic end of it but but it could be because it's time and we say 
if it's six months, organize it. The pace of change is so quick now, you cannot afford to lose six months. And my role as a change agent at VMware it is a consensus culture and you have to go around and get approval from everybody before you move forwards. And it would take months and months and months and months to get that consensus. Okay, so I guess what you're saying there, Jane, we could wrap it up really into the, um, the methodologies that we use, because ultimately, you know, you're talking about uh, being able to, to commit to things, but what we do is we start with trust. So if you have trust in the team, if you can actually feel comfortable with each other, you can then have really good, robust discussions and you can have positive, productive conflict. And then once you've done that, you can get to that commitment stage and you can commit as a team to an idea or a project. And after that stage, you can then hold each other accountable. And we we talk about it as peer to peer accountability because you've got to be comfortable going back to that trust piece to be able to hold each other accountable. Once you've done that, then the results come naturally and they're collective results as a whole team, not just one individual, but as a whole team. And that's what the five behaviours of a team is really all about. I think, I, I think that makes an awful lot of sense. I, I often felt, you know, we had a very um, open and consensual culture at Softcat in that if you wanted to do something, you sh you would make sure that the rest of the leadership team were aware or were on board with it and were happy. And I did honestly feel, well, overall, I think that was a positive because it meant that we were all, all pulling in the same direction and that's immensely important. Okay. There were occasions where maybe we took too long because we were too concerned to make sure that everybody was on board rather than just yeah. doing what, what needed to be done. So sometimes it slowed us down. So there's, there's definitely a balance there. And I think, you know, you, you said about maybe too concerned, perhaps also in some environments, you need to be too conservative as well. And, you know, that ultimately has an impact on the outcome. Makes sense. Right, Shah, I reckon it's hero time. You're up. I'm up. So, Hero is our little um, character and we always say that we make our clients the hero because it's not us that do the work, it's them that have to do the heavy lifting. It's the effort that they put in. So we decided at the end of our podcast that we would have this little um, piece where we ask our guests who their hero is. But it could be just generally the person that's motivated you or the, and, and it could be right back from your childhood to somebody in the work environment, but somebody that you would class as a hero. So go for it, Jane. Okay, well, for me, a hero is somebody that might inspire you. It might be somebody that you aspire to be. Mm -hmm. And on that basis, I'm going to give you an answer that I gave many years ago at a Citrix management meeting, and it has to be my parents. They had the biggest influence on me. Um, I aspire to be them for you know, their love of life, for their parenting skills, for encouraging me to be who I want to be and can be. Um, but sadly, they're no longer with us. So I do have a real life hero. And this sounds really corny, but it is my husband. And the reason it's my husband is because he put his career um, into retirement for a while for me he became a house husband we've got two boys he looked after them and he enabled my career to definitely 
go stratospheric at Citrix. You know, we moved to Switzerland. Although he had a work permit, he didn't speak the language. We had no support infrastructure. He was the house husband. He was the, the main parent. And I think, you know, you say about being before my time, Vic, I think he was before his time as a new yeah. age man. Mm -hmm. um, Good man. Thank I you for sharing that, Jane. I think that's so critical. He's my hero. Um, he's put up with me for nearly 40 years, so he deserves a medal. <laughs> <laughs> has he been, how many rimograms has he been on the receiving end of? <laughs> you don't need to answer that. <laughs> we'll send him a cape in the post, Jane. He yeah. needs one, I tell you. He's a saint. Absolutely. Thank Brilliant. you for sharing that. Brilliant. That was fantastic. Thanks, Jane. Really, oh, really cool. Pleasure. It was such a great honour to speak with you all. Thank you. Good, good to catch up with you. And I think we've all learned, learned loads, and I'm sure this will be massively well received by our listeners. So thank you. Yeah, thank so you. thanks for thanks thank for you. listening to Get Amplified from the Amplified Group. Your comments and your subscriptions, of course, gratefully received, and we'll see you on the next one.